Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease here with my good buddy, Richard Harris. And we are pumped to have the one and only head of sales development at Chorus.ai, Beck Holland, here with us. We've uh, all known each other for a couple years now. And uh, Beck, we've been really impressed and, and proud of what you've been doing over the last couple years. You've really kind of grown into your own. you got a big brand and a big following now and going out on tour. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm honestly super excited to be here today. I have followed both your work and loved you guys for um, several years now. So yeah, pumped to be here. Cool. We, uh, we met a few years ago back at Rainmaker and you were working for um, Gong, I believe at the time, and you, you know, stayed in the same kind of field, but your, your role has shifted a little bit, right? If memory serves, weren't you in, in marketing a little bit previously earlier in your career? Um, so I actually have a marketing background. My degree was in marketing. Um, I was an AE for about five, uh, five or uh, so years back in Texas. And then when I came to the Bay Area, I decided to take a step back um, into sales development just so I could learn more about the ecosystem before I went back into closing. Um, but from the Gong, when I was at Gong, I was doing sales dev only. I would actually say I'm more in marketing now at Chorus um, than I, I was in my previous role. So it's been an interesting yeah. shift. Yeah, so we, we were just talking about this um, the other day with uh, Jack Kosakowski. And, um, it, you know, my opinion is like the line between sales and marketing and SDR and even account manager is like disappearing. And, and the, the, the role is kind of merging and morphing into one thing where, you know, top AEs need to be good at all these different skills. Do you feel like your marketing background you know, really prepared you for, for what you're doing now, running sales develop, development for Chorus? Yeah, a hundred percent. It was actually kind of my love for marketing um, that really got me excited about the role at Chorus. So, you know, over here at Chorus, it's like I have the luxury. And I think one of the things that made me make the jump is I have the luxury of um, we are uh, salespeople selling to salespeople right? So our content, the things that we're doing is uh, very up the alley of my, you know, quote unquote expertise. And so um, I think having that luxury is really interesting. Uh, it's a really high bar because if you don't sell the best and you don't have something really interesting to say, then it kind of invalidates um, you as a leader, your reps, uh, and then your product at its base. But I think what's really interesting about it is, um, you know, I made the, tra I traversed into marketing really easily because, you know, I, the, the core job function of what I was running is what we're essentially marketing. So I'm involved in the content marketing or, you know, the product marketing, we did SDR views that is specific for SDRs. And so I got to be really involved there and even with the product team. Um, and then I've, uh, you know, gotten to um, work with the partnerships team quite a bit because we're dealing with sales engagement vendors or data providers. Um, just because the core function expertise is, is right up the sales development alley. So I long tail to answer your question. Definitely. I think marketing is a great start for anyone because it, it gives you really a deep dive into psychology and how people tick and what they want to hear and the kind of value that they want to be brought to the table. Um, I think it's a great background for anyone going into a sales role. Um, or sales development role. Let me, let me ask you this question. Do you report to marketing or how do you report right now? What's your structure? I do. I do report into marketing. So I've reported in the past into marketing, uh, revenue, uh, and sales, all three. Um, yeah. But right now I uh, work with the marketing team. And so I think 
you know, yeah. part of it's a narcissistic thing. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. What, you know, and, and there's always, you know, different answers from different people. Um, you know, I come from the school that I think, you know, the, the development team should come in toward the sales side, but you know, where do you think it fits best? Is it under a revenue team? Is it under a marketing team? Is it under a sales team? And, and from your perspective, what makes you think that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, probably an exposing question. From my perspective, I, I think there are pros and cons to both to answering into marketing and sales. From what I've seen in the industry, if you answer into sales, um, there's no real accountability there of like what's qualified. And usually the leader is a VP of sales who is um, really focused on the sales team and they understand sales development a little uh, less um, than your average leader. And so the, the pro there is you are linked to the sales team, which is what we're here trying to drive pipeline for. The con there is the bar seems to raise and raise and raise on what is qualified if you answer into sales. Uh, on the marketing end, if you answer into them, um, I think the pro there is you're really making the funnel a funnel, meaning you're following up with MQLs, content downloads, you know, webinar registrants, event attendees, et cetera. Uh, the con is I have seen um, the definition of ICP and the de definition of MQL be really loose. And mm -hmm. so, for instance, most marketing departments um, – coin uh, ICP or a great MQL on level of engagement and company size. So what you get is a bunch of interns from Oracle who have downloaded a lot of your stuff um, that is defined as a high engagement, you know, MQL. And it's like, okay, great. This person's downloading a lot of my stuff, but title, you know, comes into play very heavily. If you talk to any sales team, one of the main leading indicators of success is title. So if you answer into marketing, from my experience, um, if you don't gear it correctly from an infrastructure standpoint, you get them following up on a bunch of event leads because marketing really wants to prove the ROI of all of their events and, you know, different initiatives. Um, and sometimes at the um, expense of doing the behaviors that would provide the most high quality leads to the sales team, regardless of the source of attribution. Wow, that's, that is the best answer I've ever heard. Seriously, like genius answer. Um, obviously, there's no correct answer, but literally you dove right in. Um, I think I know what the next question Scott's going to ask about marketing and tied to revenue, right? That's right. So at what point, at what point will marketing share the uh, revenue quota um, with sales and move away from, you know, MQL, SQLs, meeting sets being you know the ultimate metric that they're engaged on right so personal experience you know and, and what i've seen i've yet to see a vp of marketing get get tossed out the door because you know they hit 85 percent of their mql number for the quarter or for the year certainly seen vps of sales get tossed out the door for achieving similar revenue numbers so uh, do you think we're going that direction and are, are you in favor of that? Are, is, is the marketing team there ready to sign up for that? I think uh, there's a lot of questions in there. Are we going that direction? Uh, we should. Uh, are we? I, I don't know. Um, someone who signs up We're recording up for this, so I'm going to tell Roy that you said so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I agree with you. I think, um, you know, I a lot of... agree with me. Uh, you what? That's step well, that's step step one to me is like more people. First of all, speaking about this, right? 
and and then more people agreeing and being willing to put their neck out there a little bit and say, I, I agree with this, right? Yeah, I think the most, um, the interesting thing is you go to someone in an org who is not in a sales role and they'll say, well, sales is, you know, over glamorized. These are people that they don't really do that much, like is talking really a skill. And the interesting thing about sales um, or one of the difficulties of sales is your, you know, your neck is in the lot, like, on the line for every single decision that you're making. If you don't hit quota, it's the most, the highest churn uh, role, because if you don't hit this metric, then it's like, okay, you're out the door. Um, so I think the real problem is not necessarily that marketing's not doing a good job or, you know, that sales dev isn't doing a good job. I think the real issue is the funnel is not a funnel. For every org that I've seen, the funnel is not a true funnel. And I'll give you an example. You know, from the sales development perspective, if I pass over an appointment, you know, you usually say this is an SQL. Um, and there is some kind of acceptance criterion or decline process of like this is an SAL or an opt, uh, you know, it's an opportunity, or this wasn't a real opportunity and there's a decline process on there. Uh, every marketing department that I've seen doesn't have the same process, even though from my perspective, it should be mirrored onto marketing from the sales development reps, we should be able to go back to an MQL for most people, most orgs that I've seen um, is someone who downloaded content, someone who attended a webinar, someone who went to an event, or best case scenario from the outbound perspective, someone who hits a profile. But again, someone who downloads my content just because they're interested in us, it certainly does not mean we're interested in them. So from my view, one of the like quick tips that I think could help drive um, you know, make the funnel an actual funnel as opposed to just something that's in theory but actually isn't working out is that sales development teams should be able to decline marketing leads and say like, this is great that this person downloaded my content, but we don't want to talk to them. Preach. We don't want to sell into them. Preach. Say it again for the people in the yeah. back of the room. <laughs> just again. So there should be a decline process from my perspective where sales development can decline marketing leads that they think this is an MQL just like sales development says, this is an SQL and there should be a decline process that sales development teams should be able either from an automated fashion using your sales ops team, team is what we do here at Chorus, you know, but there should be a manual trigger of like, hey, you know, this person um, isn't even involved with a company. This is a Gmail address. Like this certainly isn't any kind of buyer. I get it that they downloaded 20 pieces of content, but we, they have no money and they cannot buy our product. And so even though we don't, we have these falsely inflated MQL numbers for marketing. And so marketing's cheering, sales development's cheering, the sales team isn't cheering because they're not hitting their goals. And everyone's uh, solution to the problem is let's just pour more budget into top of funnel and let's get more of these MQLs without any infrastructure to support it. So I think the funnel is the biggest issue from an infrastructure standpoint that should be delineated out to a CRO to figure out, but it's it. the biggest pain point um, in source spot for orgs of why their revenue is. What, what would you do? Give people a couple of tactics, right? Cause we're speaking pretty high level. What would, what would you do to improve the funnel then aside from, Hey, you know, the, the, you know, cause currently people, the answer might be, well, we're using Marketo. So yeah, we think if someone downloads 20 pieces of content, we should at least talk to them. Right. Um, or, you know, we've got a scoring system in place so that when they do four touches, then it goes over to the sales development team, right? Like what other kinds of things do you think could improve that process for, for those who are listening? 
Yeah. So I don't, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to get grilled for this. I'm going to get hate mail for this. No, I, that's the best kind of mail to get. Cause that means you're doing it right. <laughs> I, I do not back lead scoring how it is defined to date. Lead scoring, that. <laughs> lead scoring is basically based on how much content someone downloads, but that's like saying that someone comes up to me at a bar 50 times and asks me out on a date. And this isn't someone that I want to go on a date on. It shouldn't matter how many times they ask me, do you want to drink? I am going to decline them every single time. Um, so from an M MQL infrastructure standpoint, um, what I've done to solve for why, if you will, is I basically bifurcate out to say like, okay, this is a content download. This is a webinar registrant. This is an event attendee. This is, I mean, I even go so far as to use dark funnel leads like G2, you know, uh, people are viewing you on G2, Trust Radius, Bombora, Sixth Sense, um, firmographic triggers, you know, through Crunchbase like IPO, company funding, or hypergrowth sales team. But essentially, um, how you can solve for why is by splitting up all your efforts from a marketing standpoint. And then saying not only what was the resultant ROI of this, like, let's get to that a little bit later. But out of these campaigns that we ran, what are the kinds of people that downloaded this content? And if they don't hit my minimum bar of who I want to sell into, then they are essentially shedded out into nurture campaigns um, and we don't follow up with them. It doesn't matter how many pieces of content they're downloading. I'm not going to reach out to someone 20,000 times and ask them if they want to spend 15 minutes with me if we can't sell into them. So, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint or an operational uh, view, we are shedding those out into our nurture stream and only surfacing into what I call postbound campaigns if they have if they hit the minimum bar of what we want to sell into from a company standpoint and also from a title standpoint. So for all the individual contributors out there who are downloading your content, if you can't sell into an individual contributor, if you're not a B2C to model, and it's like, I want them to know who Chorus is. I want them from a brand perspective, of course, to know what we do and who we are. And, you know, they move up into a management role, et cetera, like they like who we are. But I don't want to reach out to them right now because my AEs would be, you know, furious if I put a bunch of individual contributors on the line who don't necessarily, quote unquote, have, um, you know, all of the buying power in the world. So I think splitting up all of those different campaigns, getting data and only passing over to, um, you know, the sales development team, the ones that hit, hit the bar of who you want to sell into is paramount. Beck, you just wrote, I think, your entire book in that answer, right? <laughs> like, seriously, you say you're going to get hate mail. I think you're going to get job offers, <laughs> um, right? Like, you're, people are going to be like, this is a better way, like, really. And, and I, and, you know, the funny thing is, I'm hearing this from the sales side, because that's my perspective. And I'd be curious to know how many other marketing people actually do follow what you're saying, right? They, there's, you know, maybe you're the first one, but hopefully people are getting it, right? Uh, and I know I'm bi I'm sales biased. I'm culturally biased on that one. Right. Um, but that was that was powerful. That's are you, Beck? Are you are you finding your leadership style um, evolving? You know, as you you really articulated that last segment really well. You know, with with clarity and, and confidence. How, how are you, how are you evolving as as a leader? And what what are the things that that you're doing? Yeah, I think um, from the management perspective, communicating that and teaching these ideas, whether that's internally or whether that's externally, um, is a skill set that is constantly being developed for me. 
So, um, you know, it's, it's great if you have an idea, but if you don't have the internal buy-in and you don't have, you know, people who are really on deck with you um, and can see the results um, from this, then it's really hard to deploy, um, deploy what you're talking about. And so from a leadership perspective, you know, it kind of gets back to the original driver of me doing some content is I just wanted to help people hit more quota. You know, whether that's funnel metrics, whether that's KPI systems, whether that's infrastructure of pass-through, whether that's tactically, I just wanted to help people hit more quota. And so I'm like, I have used kind of as a, uh, a uh, you know, megaphone of the content over here of like, I'm just going to tell you what's worked for us and how I've solved for these problems. The really interesting thing, and I think, you know, one thing that I respect about the two of you is you're both practitioners at the end of the day of like, we know if something's working because we're deploying it on the phones or we're deploying it internally and we see if that actually works or not. So, you know, long tail, again, answer to your question from the leadership perspective, I'm always constantly looking to learn, to grow. If I don't know more tomorrow than I did today, I might as well have just stayed in bed. So I have an insatiable hunger to know what other people are doing. Is it working for them? And if not, I'm going to always ask the question of, if this thing isn't working, we have to do something better. So, you know, if marketing is cheering because they think that they're sending over a bunch of great leads and sales development is cheering because they think they're sending over a bunch of great appointments and sales isn't cheering, you know, one question you ask is, how are the conversations that they're having? You know, like, is there some room to grow there? But the other two questions you have to ask is, why are two of my departments doing so well and why is my third department, you know, the revenue department not actually hitting their goals? And how can I, from a leadership perspective, you know, either work together with those two peers uh, within sales and marketing or, you know, flesh out some kind of different proce process angle, um, you know, to make sure that sales is actually hitting their goals? Because that's what we're all after is like revenue, you know. So how can I work together with these two people internally, not see them as someone who's against me, but see them as you know, two teammates in the goal of like, how can we make more revenue from a company perspective? Do you think the type of, do you think the type of talent that you need to hire now um, is different than you did one, two, five years ago? Are you I, evaluating it the same way? Yeah, I, I like, as I go on, I almost think it's unfair to the SDRs that I hired today, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, as I grow, I want to work with people you know, who I can grow and who can grow me both. And so the critical thinkers that I'm looking for today are the ones who can, you know, get the system that I'm handing out to them, even from the messaging or from the pass-through perspective, and then challenge me on why are we hooking like this when it's not working so they can help me grow out the scripts and out the, the department from the ground up. It's tricky though, you know, I, I say this as somebody who's a little bit older than you and, and in leadership for a little bit longer, like one of the hardest things as you go on is, you know, when you have this insatiable <clears throat> kind of desire to learn and grow and you're pushing yourself, you, your patience and tolerance for working with people who are not at your level uh, diminishes. And, and you have to dig really, really deep and like harness the, you know, the teacher in you right? Because it's, it's not some of these kids' fault that they don't know this stuff yet, right? Sure. And you got to go, oh, fuck, I got to go. I got to go back to like kindergarten level and start all over again. And, you know, when you first move into leadership and management, you're like all fired up about that. 
But 10, 15, 20 years later, you're like, oh my God, do I really have to have this conversation again? Right? Yeah. It's called the get off my lawn syndrome. (laughs) I think that's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because you're right. You do have to dig with a lot of reps. And again, I'm leading entry, entry level. And a a good example is um, one of the uh, guys on the team over here, you know, he was onboarding basically with me and I said, okay, let's go into a training session. I'm kind of evaluating where you're at and I'll never forget. He asked me, what does SAS stand for? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. He is our top performer now. He's our top performer and that is so fun to see someone ramp that quickly. And so, I mean, to yeah. answer your question, kind of from the get off my lawn syndrome, what I have to constantly ask myself is, who the hell do I think I am? Because yeah. I was there at one point. Yeah. And am I the kind of leader that would have given myself a shot? Or am I going to be the relative, like, yeah. hag who thinks so highly of herself that she simply you know, cannot work with someone who doesn't know what SAS. Um, Imagine all the hiring managers out there who would not have hired that particular individual if they yep. would have said that or asked that question in the interview process, right? Yeah. This goes back to our, our pre-session, which is, you know, isn't it ironic, right? Yes. This is our, uh, you know, my first <laughs> comment, Bex, Bex pulling her Alanis set, so this sort of fits in perfectly. Um, <laughs> For those of you who are who are only listening, when you get to the viewing stage, it, it'll be more fun. But um, <laughs> that that's I, I completely agree, and I have to do that a lot too. Like I think the place I see it the most because I'm not practicing, I'm not a, I'm not a hiring manager, I'm not hiring people, I'm not interviewing people that much. But it's the same thing on LinkedIn, right? Like it's there's there's a lot of um, for lack of a better word, you know, there I, I call it LinkedIn porn, right? Whether it's the hey it looks like you're doing some amazing things in your profile, right? I get that daily. I'd love yeah. to connect with you. Yeah. And I kind of have to remind myself that they just don't know. Right. Or I have to at least give them the benefit of the doubt that they don't know that that's what they should be doing or they shouldn't be doing it that way. Right. And rather than blasting them. So um, I get, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll differ with you a little bit. Like I'll give some people the benefit of the doubt. Well, this is fair. <laughs> I think that's fair too. Yeah. If, if, if you're sending me, Stuff like that, uh, you know, and, and you've been a practitioner for, you know, a good deal of time or you have an executive level title, like, get off my lawn, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, if you're, if you're junior, like, then I'm going to, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt because I feel bad. Like, nobody, nobody told you. Like, nobody, nobody taught you, right? And that, that's why I think, you know, for what you're doing, Beck, and, you know, much of my career has been spent you know, nurturing and guiding people at the very earliest stages of their career all the way through VP level, you know? Yeah. Um, and and it, you have to enjoy being a teacher on, on, at, at, some, at some level. You, you, you can't lose that. And when you lose that desire to teach um, and, and your patience disappears, it's time to take a break or it's time to, time to move on because you're not, you're doing everybody a disservice, you know? Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Usually for me, when I get to those points, I realize that it's our, um, what I think is it's time for an ego check for me. Um, And I think back to this moment. I don't know if you've ever seen The Devil Wears Prada. Uh, Have you guys seen that movie? No, I have not. Okay. (laughs) Well, you're missing out, Scott. Um, (laughs) 
But there's this. There's God, this, you would actually like it. Like it, it, it's a very fascinating psychology movie. Um, you would enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it? sure. Richard. <laughs> so, anywho, the the Devil Wears Prada is basically about this girl who is a journalist, and she wants to be a journalist, and she um, becomes an assistant for a very well known um, editor. For it's actually mimicked off of the now uh, editor for Vogue. And she's not into fashion, doesn't know fashion, doesn't know, you know, her name in the movie is Miranda Priestly, is the editor in Vogue. Um, and so at the beginning, she's just coming in to get a job and work with Miranda Priestly because she's so well known and she wants to work away from the journalism wor world. At any rate, she starts becoming more and more and more into the fashion world. And she kind of has this come to Jesus moment where she realizes she needs to kind of buy in here. And she starts dressing better and, you know, really getting into the fashion world. And there's this moment at the end of the movie where she thinks back to the first scene. And in the first scene, she's just like eating cereal and reading through these articles and she doesn't have any makeup on and she's, you know, dressed pretty poorly. And I have that moment a lot when I think of myself, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, I was an account executive that was selling HVAC equipment and mechanical construction projects uh, to a bunch of, you know, good old boys back in Texas. I moved out to the Bay Area because, you know, personal reasons, I wanted to be with my grandparents because uh, they lived out there, but I took my first crack in tech, you know, when at the age of 29 years old, and I remember at the my first uh, job in tech, I, I worked for a Martech company called Adjust, and in the intro onboarding session, they said, okay, so you're an SDR now, so first let's talk about mobile SDKs, and in my head, I thought SDR stood for sales development rep, and that SDK st stood for sales development kit. <laughs> okay. Kid, K-I-D? Kit, like a oh. little kit that you get, like whenever you start in sales development. So I kind of have that Anne Hathaway, Devil Wears Prada moment when I think of, that was, you know, five years ago for me. Not that long ago. And yeah. so it wasn't too long ago. And so when I'm viewing these reps who are coming in, you know, right out of college, you know, um, they don't know what SAS stands for. I think about that moment five years ago, and I think about even more importantly, uh, the leaders that nurtured me, you know, Richard being one of him, one of them, he gave me my first shot at a, um, basically a training Tuesday with AISP and plugged me, um, you know, after a conversation that we had had. But I think back to those moments whenever I'm, I'm thinking that I can't train these people or, you know, they're just so far behind me because it grounds me a little bit more and it makes me excited for them and makes me really, really have an invigorated desire and heart to train them because at one stage, not too long ago, that was me. That's great. Why don't, why don't you tell people, because on occasion, some people might not know, what is an SDK? An SDK is basically a piece of software that you can put into an app um, to help track the performance of an app. And it stands for software development kit. Yes, software development right. kit. That's, 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 that's the whole point of the story. I want to make sure people <laughs> didn't know. Uh, it no. is software development kit. It is not an intro kit that you get in sales development of like, you know, pencils and pens and erasers. For, for <laughs> tell, tell us, uh, tell us, you know, tell the audience about the exciting news and, and you're, you're going out on tour with uh, Scott and, and not not me different Scott Scott Barker and, uh, and Josh Braun and, and some other cool people will be in different cities and whatnot tell tell the audience what you're what you're up to yeah so um, <clears throat> it's gonna be really exciting we're branding it the flip the script North American tour 
uh, really fancy name. Basically, the TLDR of it was um, I started a series when I was at G2 Crowd, um, where basically I just wanted to train SDRs for free. It was kind of like an after hours, um, you know, bought a couple of pizza boxes, just kind of an after uh, hours school project that I started with my buddy. But um, we did five sessions. Um, it got more traction than I ever imagined. Super encouraging. Um, so anywho, we are doing a flip, the, and I branded it like flip the script, um, just because we we're flipping back from mass blast to personalization and hopefully flipping the industry back from, you know, these templates and, um, you know, selling in a certain manner, manner back to one with, um, you know, integrity and, and creativity where they could really say some interesting, compelling stuff to their uh, prospects. The tour is going to be nine cities, 16 days. It's for free which is really exciting where we're based for everybody. Every, you know, everybody else, everybody out there is like, Oh, it's free 99. I'm in free 99. Um, so basically we're going to be covering um, three different sessions for every city. The, the cities we're going to be jumping in a bus going from Boston to New York, to Chicago, to Atlanta, to Austin, to Denver, Salt Lake, Seattle, and finishing in San Francisco. And basically, um, all the sessions are going to be after hours are going to be for free. We're going to be covering uh, unicorn reps, what they're doing, what are their attributes, how do they organize their day, and what are they saying tactically to be very different in Crush Quota. Um, Josh is going to follow up with direct mail, uh, gatekeepers, voicemail, and who is your buyer and how to make them more happy. And then I'm going to finish off with um, email, cold calls, and uh, sequences, how to build sequences within your sales engagement platform to make the whole thing sustainable. Great stuff. If anybody's out there, you know, and able to go to one of these events, it's in, it's in your city, you should definitely go, uh, go check it out. You should particularly go to Austin because actually Scott's going to be joining us in Austin. This is Scott, Scott Lees. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Scott Lees, Scott Lees. You're going to be uh, hosted by Scott Barker, so it's going to be... Yeah, the the shots. Two, yeah, <laughs> we get along really well. We had a joke about that. He was actually um, in attendance at Serpent Sales 3 uh, in September last year. And, and uh, we were talking about forming a company called Two Scots. Yeah. Which has a joke. Is Scott with a little two in the uh, top yeah, right hand Scott, Scott, Scott Two Crowd. Yeah, that's what it'll be. Exactly. Scott Squared. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. Um, and no, I'm not jealous. Um, so it's okay. I know Beck will get me on the next tour. You're going to save me for later. So, uh, so Beck, Beck, we, we end this and I've, I've been on mute a little bit cause there's construction going on in my house, but I'll ask this question while it's quiet. I hope, you know, we always like to end these things a little differently and say, how can we help you? Like, what can we do for you, um, to help further, your business, your life, your career, like how can we help back? Because you've given us a lot, you've given the audience a lot to, to do something. So we want to give it back a little bit to you. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. Well, I knew um, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways from a wisdom perspective, you guys could help me. I know that you've got a lot of experience. One thing in specific that's top of mind for me is as I go into this tour, this is a very first for me of, you know, how to set up different dates, what to, you know, cover during those dates. So my question was, and it might be a niche one. Um, so, um, you know, you, you're welcome to not answer it if, if you don't want to, but a lot of times during these sessions, I know that the session that you guys ran from what I understood was three hours. Did I get that right? Three or three and a half hours. Yes. She, she's talking about the, uh, event 
that Richard and I held in Austin, Texas um, in November. Um, yeah. It was it was scheduled for three hours, and I think we went damn near four. Yeah. So that's a that's a long time. It was like a, it was like a five p.m. to almost nine p.m. thing. Yeah. So that's a long time to really keep people engaged and keep them, you know, fresh, at least from, you know, from my view. So my question to you is, you know, our sessions are going to be starting at five or they're going to be starting at uh, six o'clock and running until 820 uh, with a Q&A on the end. My question is, how do you um, what's your take on keeping people engaged, you know, bathroom breaks, et cetera? Like, how do you make it palatable, um, you know, back to your point on teaching and, you know, leadership? what's your best tips on how to keep them, um, you know, engaged, learning, open, um, and what's the right cadence there to keep people really involved? I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go first on this one. Um, you know, as we all know, our, our attention span is extremely short and limited these days, you know? Um, so one of the things that you know, I tried to do at least was I asked people to politely get rid of their phone put it away. I had no, no problem being bold enough to be like, Hey, I'm up here. You're here for a reason. Like, let's stop worrying about your fucking Twitter feed and, and your, you know, your boyfriend, girlfriend texting you or whatever, like put it down, right? Just put it down. You know, most people did not everybody, but most people is a win over where, over where we started. Right. The other thing was we kept our little uh, segments as short as possible and rotated. Right. So it was like Scott for 30 minutes, Richard for 30 minutes, quick break for 10 minutes, Scott for 30 minutes, Richard. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. there was no stretch, never a stretch where somebody had to sit for an hour. And so and the, so it was like, I can't remember whose quote this is, but it was like, you know, be, be brief and be brilliant or something like that. Right. It's like, get in, get out onto the next kind of thing. And, and so it felt like there was a good pace and a good rhythm with not too much of a, of, of a lull. And the last thing I'll leave you with is, you know, people who come to your event, yeah, they're interested in the content, but you know what? They're interested in you, you know? And I think if you're delivering the material, this is your event, like you got to recognize and appreciate that these people have given up whatever else they could be doing with their lives to, to come talk to you. And so Richard and I stayed around well beyond, you know, nine o'clock shaking hands and having conversations with people and, and whatnot and putting in, you know, um, putting in some extra time. Right? It's like, I think of like the athlete who sticks around after the game and comes yeah. back out of the locker room and signs a million autographs kind of thing. Right. Um, and so that, that would be my advice to like, you know, those are, those are a couple things to think about. Get people to put their phone away, number one. Ask them to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Number two, short segments, changing topics so people don't have to sit there for too long. And then, you know, as somebody who's delivering the content, stick around, you know, be, be, be there for your audience, right? Make, make the last audience member leave before you do kind of thing. I don't know. I, Richard, hopefully you have more. Yeah, I've got a couple things, and, and this is only because I, I, I'm the one. A little bit of the logistics on this one is oh you are the logistics on this yeah <laughs> uh and to scott's quotes it's you know be brief be brilliant and be That's gone it. Thank right you. uh but uh the butt will only absorb the brain will only absorb as much as the butt will tolerate 
and I know this is really weird, but you know, you do, you literally sit there and you go, okay, what kind of chairs am I going to rent? Well, you got to rent the padded chairs. Yeah. Hardwood chairs. They're uncomfortable. Like yeah, nobody's going to sit there. And talking to Scott and I'm like, Scott, you know, these chairs are three bucks a piece versus a buck 25. What do you think? You know, yeah. it's costing us a $75 difference, you know? And Scott's like, just like, why are you even asking? And this is how Scott is like, why are you even asking? Just do it. Like, you know, so, but, yeah. but Scott also likes to watch the pennies. So, um, <laughs> so, so one is, I, I think you have to create some comfort. I think the other thing too is you, uh, we had, we had quality food, which was really important, I think, so that it was more than pizza and, and beer. Um, I thought that that, you know, we got a caterer to come in and it's not that much more expensive in my opinion. Um, and I think that keeps people around and, and sort of piggybacking off what Scott said, look, you know, people come cause they want to hear the content, right? They want to hear you. They want to hear Scott. They want to hear Barker. They want to hear all these different people you're having to come. And, if after two and a half hours they got to get up and leave, then so be it. They leave. Yeah. Like, like it's no big deal. Yeah. Um, don't worry about that because there are people like, you know, you know, if it's me, I may have a family obligation. I've got two kids. Like I can't, yeah. but the fact that they're coming to see you for the first hour or two is what matters the most because they've made the effort. So don't worry about, Oh my God, you know, it's, it's a webinar. Did we, did we keep everybody engaged all, you know, all 45 minutes kind of thing. Right. Um, and then the other piece I would say too is be tight on your content, really, really tight. Um, you've been to enough of these, you know, whether it's it's Rev, uh, which used to be Rainmaker, or if you go to Unleash, you know, uh, or Dreamforce. Know your content. Make sure your speakers know their content because there's nothing worse than somebody getting up there and droning because they think they can wing it. They think they know what to say. Right. Don't let that happen. That's when you lose people, in my opinion. And then the last thing I would say too is like. At the beginning of the session, or, you know, I definitely believe in taking breaks for 45, every 45 minutes, 45 minutes content, 15 minute break, 45 minute content, 15 minute break. Um, people need that because they start to socialize around what they just heard anyway, right? Or they connect. And that's another piece of this that's not thought of as valuable. So you don't want to keep them in their seats that long. They won't sit. It, it, it's not yeah. comfortable. And you can even tell people like, hey, as we get into hour two and three, if you need to stand and lean against the wall go for it. Like I tell people to do that all the time in my training. Yeah. Like, you don't have to sit in the chair. It's there, but stretch your legs. So th th those are my advice things around this kind of stuff. So I actually, I think that that's all solid advice um, that I will take to the bank. I uh, also had one more question for you both. If you bonus are okay. question. Do I bonus get a bonus round? You got a bonus question. Let's do it. Um, I'm relatively new to this game. I feel like you guys have a lot of experience. Um, what and game specifically are you referring to? Let's just call it a game of life. You guys are. <laughs> She's kindly <laughs> telling us. How do I politely old, call people old on the old as dirt, Richard. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, you realize we're in increments of eight, the three of us. You realize that, right? <laughs> we are. Yes. Yes. Are you, are you a millennial back she doesn't want to answer it. Let her get to her question. <laughs> My question is, I've seen both of you um, and how you operate with people, and you both seem to have this uh, knack for, I, I, I don't want to put a um, something so tried as a word of networking on it, but you really add value to the communities around you. And you have introduced me, both introduced me to people that are way out of my league. 
Um, and so my question is how, what is your uh, strategy or perspective on adding value to those around you so that you have um, just have that really enriched community and have that really enriched network around you, um, you know, to help you get to the next stage. All right. I'll, I'll answer that. So um, I think there were two or three pieces that, that I did consciously and some just, I just did, right? So when I first started doing things, I just started adding to the community. I had no agenda. I was actually unemployed. Uh, this was before I started the consulting business. And I was going through my you know, interview phase and I was like, oh my God, I feel worthless. I'm not feeling, you know, like whatever. And I finally realized if I started commenting on people's stuff on LinkedIn, people liked what I said, right? Yeah. Or they would thumbs up my stuff. And then that gave me validation that I knew what I was doing was, was, a, I was saying the right stuff, which I was a little concerned about, but more importantly, I didn't realize it was going to make me feel good. Like, Hey, I may not have a job right now, but I'm helping somebody else in their career. So that for me is where it all came from. Um, then I figured out the strategy of it, of more LinkedIn connections, um, which type of connections I wanted, how to, how to scale my LinkedIn connections and, and then started sharing that with Scott. And then he and I started going back and forth on this. So we, you know, that was my foray into it. And I worry, I worry less about whether what I'm adding is valuable to the community other yeah. than the fact that I add it because even if I'm wrong, that's still value to the community. And I welcome that. Right. So I do try to be a little controversial, a little snarky yeah. I do want people to respond. I want to engage and I don't worry about having to be right all the time. Um, at least I, at least I, don't think I try to worry about being right. I, I don't know. So, maybe so deeper, you know. What about off LinkedIn? Let's put LinkedIn aside and like, you know, the whole game there, because where I've seen you both be particularly strong is um, off LinkedIn, is I noticed that, you know, Richard, you're a great example. You've introduced me to, you know, two people that I can think of that worked with major enterprise brands just for a conversation because you wanted to kind of thing. So my, like, what was y'all's, uh, what is your mindset, you know, doing uh, something like that, you know, putting social aside? That's uh, just karma for me, but I'll let Scott go ahead and jump in. I'll take that one. And this has nothing to do with, with LinkedIn or, you know, yeah, whatever kind of fake debt, fake LinkedIn celebrity bullshit, you know, someone might uh, talk to us about. Yeah, so I'm, I'll tell you a little story. Okay. Um, in 2000, 10, I think, uh, I went to work for this little tiny startup called Main Street Hub in San Francisco. And that company moved to uh, Austin, Texas when we only had a couple people. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the first five people on my team were all entry level. One was like a mid-ish level salesperson. All right. Those five people are now be patient with me for a second. Head of sales operations, VP of customer success, VP of sales at a series B startup, VP of sales at a mega software company and senior enterprise strategic account rep um, at, a, at a software company. So my point is I have, to the best of my ability, um, stayed in contact with people 
and, and made it a point to try to guide and, and mentor and help them along the way years upon years after they stopped working for me and, and, and with me. Uh, and now I do that. I feel like I have a little bit larger platform even to do that. And now I do that with people that I don't even know for, for, for no other reason than, like I said, who the fuck am I? You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, in 2001, I was dying, right? I spent four years battling stuff. I was a dope fiend. Like I can barely get out of bed sometimes. And Richard knows this cause I'm in so much pain or I'm so sick. And like, I've been very blessed. I'm shooting for like a million dollar business this year. Who the fuck am I though? Right? I, somebody gave me a shot at one point in time, all these different, you know, all these different roles I have. So I, I just think it would be extremely selfish and disrespectful for me to not try to give, you know, give guidance and advice and, and help and nurture people and develop people, you know, to the best of my ability. And I don't give a shit about the and stuff. That's just real. Yeah, life. same. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, the reason I asked the question is, I mean, both of you have been there for me at different times um, when there was nothing in it for you. Um, you know, through some d more difficult time or just to be a sounding board. And so I was just wondering, you know, if that was a, a piece of it or, or, you know, how that influenced your, um, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, you, you're, you, I think what will happen is you will appreciate that in the way that you do now. And I, and I think that you'll start to become that person for other people. Yeah. And the, the more that we, the more people like, us and you know the more people like you and that that will spread to people underneath you and so we need we need more of that you know in in all kinds of professions and all uh, all walks of life so anyway before we get too sappy awesome. and hug it, hug it out too much here at the, at the very <laughs> end uh beck enjoyed enjoyed this a lot i think it was fantastic i think there's a lot of good nuggets in there i think people are going to be really impressed and blown away by we have to call it the surf and marketing campaign that was such a good marketing segment <laughs> yeah. that was really good it was really really good and one of these days we'll get her we'll get her down to costa rica or mexico or nicaragua or something like i would that. love it roy if you're listening i want to go royal listen <laughs> oh let's go roy come on roy come on roy all right beck take care thank you, thank you thanks so, much. so much it was thank awesome you so much. thank you so much guys